He was in his house tending to the normal activities of life when out of the blue came word that foreign invaders had driven out all of his cattle, 500 yoke of oxen, and all of his donkeys, 500 female donkeys, and had killed all the servants who were caring for them. No sooner was, were the words out of the messenger's mouth than another came, telling that fire had come down from heaven, had completely consumed all the sheep, 5,000 of them, in fact, and the shepherds as well. As you may have suspected, messenger three did not have good news either. At the, at the, uh, uh, the, the bad news that he brought was that the camels, all 3,000, had been stolen and all the camel jockeys were dead. Predictably, there was a fourth that said, all your seven sons and your three daughters are dead as a result of a windstorm that knocked the house down on top of them when they were feasting and celebrating. What came next for this man? Poor health. The man was stricken with painful boils all over his body. He was afflicted with a wife that was anything but encouraging to him. Uh, his three friends were even worse than that. Who was he? Job. Job summed up his life in a very succinct verse in Job 1, 14, 1. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and, and full of trouble. All this brings us abruptly back to the scene in the Garden of Eden many centuries before. The persistent difficulties of life that we experience have come down through, uh, to us through the millennia through Adam, the first man. Weeds, thorns, thistles, myriads of difficulties are here to stay uh, all the days of our lives until the time of the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, actually, for us as individuals, uh, upon our graduation to heaven. We started last week looking at uh, the effect of the fall of man. Their conscience, first of all, was affected. And then their curse was affected, verses 14 to 16, the curse on the tempter first of all, and the curse on the tempted. And we talked about the curse on the woman specifically last week. This week, we move on to the man in verses 17 and 18. We just read those verses just a, a bit ago. Verse 17, uh, he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded, you shall not have eat, eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you will eat the plants of the field. So what was it like for a person who wanted to farm uh, in, in the Garden of Eden initially? What would have been like uh, your produce have been like? So you planted stuff, and what happened to it? It grew, and what didn't happen to it? Didn't die. You didn't have any droughts. Uh, no weeds. I know you don't have any weeds in your gardens, do you? Uh, it's nonstop, isn't it? Any of you have any dandelions in your yard? Well, I'll send you some. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, everybody send your dandelions to... Well, anyway, so before the fall, there had been 100% productivity. Everything grew as it was intended, where it was intended to grow. So it was a gardener or a farmer's dream in the Garden of Eden. 
But as the Lord turned from Eve to her husband, Adam, he said, because you broke my command, the once blessed ground is now cursed. You're going to have to eke out a living, and there will be many hindrances that spring up along the way. Any of you who have done any gardening or farming know that that is the case. You ever heard of multiflora roses? How, how did you say that? How did you say that? Yes. <laughs> They're really lovely. Actually, they look nice, don't they, in that picture? Um, multiflora roses were not native to the U.S. They came here from Southeast Asia clear back in the 1930s or before. Soil conservation was, became a pressing issue, and they took note that the, the plants were fast-growing. They had a thick growth. Uh, they formed natural hedges, and some of you are acquainted with that, uh, and over time were supposed to improve the soil. So farmers were encouraged to plant rows of these multiflora roses to develop their fences. Uh, the fences were beneficial also to wildlife. They're great for raising wild rabbits. If you're a hunter, uh, it was very nice, unless the rabbit got into um, the fence row. If you didn't have a dog and, and your kid was the dog, you better feel sorry for your kid uh, if he's having to go in, try to go into a, a row of multiflora roses to uh, get out the, the game. For a time, <coughs> excuse me, for a time, the U.S. Department of Agriculture paid landowners to plant multiflora roses in the U.S. That, those kind of things happen, don't they, sometimes? More recently, they've been planted in, on, in highway median strips to serve as crash barriers. Tell you something about them. Uh, if you run into them, they're supposed to assist and to reduce automobile headlight glare. Well, it didn't take long for farmers and government uh, officials to realize the plant they thought would, would uh, contain their livestock and out, act as a natural boundary uh, had no boundaries of its own. Well into the 60s, many state conservation departments uh, uh, distributed root cuttings of this thorny beast to landowners in the Midwest and, and the Mid-Atlantic to use as living fences and then for wildlife and so on and so forth. I remember when I was a kid, Dad decided he was going to plant some multiflora roses. I don't remember much because I was a grade school kid at the time. Not that grade school kids don't remember much, but this one does. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> it did provide a good fence row that would turn domestic animals. It, even hogs couldn't get out if you had a... a, a, a uh, multiflora roses in your fence. But there was one problem that Genesis already voiced. They spread like crazy. Birds spread the seeds of those things, and they were all over the place, like the picture you're looking at now. Um, in fact, some years later, uh, my parents had sold that place, and we went back to look at it, and those rose bushes, uh, their fields hadn't been uh, uh, bush hogged. And those rose bushes had taken over that place. It looked like a jungle. You would have been hard-pressed to, to walk through um, unless you could fly uh, to get through that stuff. Literal weeds are a fact of life, and they never quit. Well, in Genesis 5, 29, Lamech, 
who would have been Noah's father, made reference to his regret at, at this curse that was placed on, on Adam back in, in chapter 3. Genesis 5.29 says, he called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground the Lord has cursed this one, shall bring up relief from our work, or excuse me, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one, this one being Noah, shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So it would imply that Noah would help him to dominate the soil. Uh, oh, thank you. Thanks. You think it'll help? It didn't yesterday, but we'll be optimistic about today. Thank you. Uh, for one thing, uh, why do you think they had lots of kids? To help them dominate the soil, uh, because they wouldn't have had any to it wouldn't have had any machines to speak of, and uh, and plus they lived a long time. Uh, so that would have been part of it. But anyway, uh, that was supposed to be what Noah was going to do. Obviously, that's not what you know, know, know about Noah most, but uh, that's what his father had in mind before he was born. Now, verse 19 continues, cares of a livelihood, but by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." Very simply this, it would have been the de it was to be the destiny of man to find it difficult to make a living. Have you encountered any of that? Difficult to make a living. Actually, there is a sense in which we ought to thank God for physical death as it is a time of transformation from our earliest state to our heavenly one. Uh, so in other words, from the difficulties of, of making a living, uh, feeding your family, uh, and, and going through the, the various affairs of life. And uh, in heaven, you won't have the, those kind of struggles that you wrestle with now. Makes heaven sound a little even more appealing, doesn't it, uh, when you give it that, that, kind of a, that kind of thought. Now, verses 20 and 21, the expenditure for man, what was it that God provided for him? The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Now, for the first time ever, Eve was given her name. Uh, it's from the root word meaning life or life spring or life giver. This verse, by the way, negates the idea of the existence of some other pre-Adamic race. What do I mean by a pre-Adamic race? People who lived before Adam. But what does this verse say? Even just about Eve. She was the, she was the first and, and what was going to be the place that she had? Do what? The mother of all living. So, if there was a pre-Adamic race, they would not have been included in that. And, uh, well, that would have made that inaccurate. Incidentally, either Adam was a caveman or he cave, came from a caveman. Uh, what do you think? Where did cavemen come in? Before Adam or after Adam? In light of this verse. After Adam. So where would, how would you have gotten 
people like, I'm just calling them cavemen. They're probably more accurate terms, but you know what I'm talking about. Where'd they come from? What is all you have to do to, to bring out some of those kind of characteristics in a group of people? <clears throat> what do you have to do with them? Yes. So how do you, how's that accomplished? They go in one area, they stay in one area by themselves, those dominant genes begin to come out at various characteristics, and, uh, and that would be all it would take for, for a person to come up with that kind of, uh, those kinds of individuals that, that, is, that are often described to us. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <coughs> Thank you. Um, Adam recognized that by the mercy of God, the human race would not cease to exist, but that Eve would be the one to guarantee the continuation of the human race. I, I don't, we don't actually know what he knew about that. Um, had there been any other uh, children born to that point in time? To that point in time, there hadn't been. Uh, we don't know how much they knew ahead of time about those, those events. Well, God then paused to do something very practical and symbolic. What was it? Something that uh, you would appreciate. He made, he made clothing for Adam and Eve, as evidently God didn't feel that fig leaf skirts would, uh, would be quite adequate. Most commentators believe that here God gave Adam and Eve directions and ability to perform the task of making clothes, but the text doesn't say that. Uh, either way, he provided clothes for them. Imagine in your mind, though, the drastic nature of, of this event. What would have been drastic about it besides the, the fact they didn't have clothes before? They had to kill something to do that. What would have been Adam and Eve's relationship with animals prior to that time. Well, prior to the fall, they were non-threatening. Uh, there would not have been, uh, you wouldn't had, uh, well, bears and wolves and, and uh, tigers and so on and so forth wouldn't have behaved quite the way they do now. In fact, they wouldn't have behaved that way at all. So the animals, uh, uh, we could use the term friends, they would have been friends with all the animals prior to that time, but not necessarily so afterwards. But it would have been quite a shock to them. They had never seen any death, dying, or even discomfort among the animal kingdom or themselves. So it was a huge change took place with the fall of man. And now God either, uh, either killed uh, two of those animals or had Adam and Eve do it to make them a more adequate covering their shame, and apparently God was the one that did that uh, for them at that time. Some people see this, yes. Um, some see this as a picture of the covering of the Lamb of God. Um, it could be used as an example. It doesn't say this represents that, uh, represents the occasion of, of Christ's shed blood on the cross, but it can be used as an example of that, of God providing the Lamb of God, for our redemption uh, on the cross of Christ. Um, incidentally, uh, what could a hedonist 
or a nudist colony, uh, what would they, should they be able to get from these, this verse, these verses? Was that God's intent? <laughs> yes, thank you. Do what? I think you're. I think you're probably right. So they would try to try to make it seem as if uh, they were uh, upstanding in their uh, lack of lack of duds, uh, lack of clothes. Yes, thank you. <clears throat> uh, because of the added presence or presence of sinful thoughts and consequent sinful acts, the bodies of men and women were to be adequately covered from then on. Leupold sees this as a picture of a man as he sits down to eat, the sweat pouring down his face as a result of his previous hard work and toil. And it gives us the idea that making a legitimate living would only come by sweat and perseverance. Does it always come easy for you to pay bills? Frankly, whether a person is considered wealthy or poor, there are still certain persistent problems that continue to surface to plague their course of life. What's the alternative to not making a living by the sweat of your brow? To die or poverty? What was the other one? Well, and, and this, well, let me read Proverbs 24, or let's look at it. Proverbs 24, 30. I passed by the field of a sluggard. Is that talking about those uh, slimy, crawly things? No, it has a D on the end. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry. By the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was overgrown with thorns and multiflora roses. They'd fit. Uh, the ground was covered with nettles. The stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it, and I looked and received instruction. So here's a guy, too lazy to work, and what did his place look like? It was nasty uh, as he looked at the place. Overgrown. And it goes on, it says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an iron, or a armed man. You know, actually, much of the, uh, oftentimes, the welfare system in our land demonstrates this very thing. If there is no willingness to work, and that's the key word, willingness, if there's no willingness to work on the part of an individual, then there is generally poverty of sorts, even if a lot of assistance is given. So if the man is not willing to do any work, uh, oftentimes poverty exists even in the presence of, of uh, funds being given to the individual not willing to work. What about the person who can't work? Is that a different category? It is. It's a different category. But the willingness idea would be the key there as to uh, uh, how, how God would look at that situation. Now, the conclusion of life, chapter 3, verse 19 by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The ultimate demonstration of God's displeasure and intolerance of sin is summed up in a word. What is it? Death. 
Every time you go to the funeral home or the cemetery, it ought to remind you of how nauseating sin is to God. He says, Adam, I made you from the dirt, and your body will soon return there because of your disobedience. Imagine the consequence. If God had not decreed that man would die, well, first of all, God would have demonstrated himself to be a liar because God said he would die. Secondly, there would presently be a world jam-packed and overflowing with rebellious, sinful people still living if death hadn't been instituted. Can you imagine all the rebels on earth gathered from the days of Adam till now if death didn't exist? Furthermore, they would have remained that way in their sin-scarred bodies for all eternity uh, if, uh, if the Lord had not decreed that man would die after sin came about. If you're here today with physical infirmities, bad eyesight, poor hearing, arthritis, uh, pain, um, you have confidence that one of these days that's going to end, that you'll get a new issue, a body that works completely well, and uh, that's not going to be a bad day, is it? In fact, that's going to be a great day when that takes place. But imagine having to live with all your difficulties, and some don't have many, so you don't think that's as big a deal, but others of you, some of those that are creeping up on you, uh, imagine that we'd be stuck with those, those original issue body for all eternity with all their difficulties. Uh, then let's look on at the last, last three verses, exile of man. The Lord God said... Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. A great time of sadness enters the picture here. As you see, man, it says, had become like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but only in the sense that what did he now know? He knew good and evil. However, in doing so, he affected himself irreparably. He could no longer enjoy the benefits of the perfect environment because he was no longer a perfect man. Also, God wanted to make sure that man was not left to have access to the tree of life. Again, why, and we've alluded to this already, why would God not want Adam to eat of the tree of life after he had sinned? Live eternal, eternally in a sinful condition, in a sinful body, an imperfect body that's been affected by sin. One author says immortality is a state of sin or in a state of sin is not the eternal life which God designed for man, but endless misery, which the scriptures call the second death. So uh, it would not have, not have been good for man uh, if the Lord had not, uh, or rather the Lord had allowed him to eat from the tree of life after the original sin there in the garden. So it says God not only sent him out, 
But he drove a reluctant and hesitating Adam from the glorious sanctuary that had been especially prepared for him. Furthermore, God, God guaranteed no re-entry to that perfect paradise. How did he do that? How did God guarantee that Adam couldn't go back to that perfect, per, farm that perfect place? It's kind of a, a spectacular picture, isn't it? Although it's a sad one. Uh, uh, with uh, angelic guards there, uh, the cherubim, and then uh, a, a revolving flaming sword. wonder what that looked like. I think it was noticeable, don't you? That's right. Even though You didn't even want to go in a perfect place with that, uh, that kind of a guard. So I'm thankful to be able to remind us today that God has marvelously provided a cure for our sin and to death. His son, Jesus Christ who centuries later came to die on the cross in our place. Is that to say Christians won't have problems? <coughs> of course not. Uh, do all of you have problems? Sure. We don't have all exactly the same ones, but uh, we all have a different set of them, it seems. And then, too... Remember, remember this about those days and years of struggle and difficulty. Begin with the, the words of Job in Job 14.1. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of troubles. You mean it's not going to be easy sailing from, for you for here, from here on out? What's going to happen? Do we know exactly? We don't know, we don't know the details of it. The Lord hasn't spelled that out to us. Uh, there will be difficulties. Uh, but what else does Job say on that subject in Job 23.10? But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried, tried me, how will I come forth? How will you come forth as a believer? I will come forth as gold. Some of you went to, any of you go to Patch the Pirate when you were younger? Patch the Pirate Clubs. You ever heard of that? A guy named Ron Hamilton, a uh, musician. He and his family uh, sang around, uh, did concerts, and they also prepared what was called Patch the Pirate Clubs. And I think he was the author of over a 1,000 songs, uh, Ron was. Uh, when Ron Hamilton was uh, 20... <coughs> When Ron Hamilton was 26, he lost his eyesight in one of his eyes, and, and he wore a patch over it, hence the name Patch the Pirate. Uh, but he used that as a tool for ministry for many years, and one of the songs that he wrote reminds me of these two verses in Job. It's called Rejoice in the Lord. Now, let me read the lyrics, and then, then you can listen to him sing it. God never moves without purpose or plan when trying his servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seems long. In darkness, he giveth a song. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knoweth the end of the path that I take. 
For when I am tried and purified, I will come forth as gold. That's just part of it. I'm going to listen to it right now. Pastor Pirate, I think you'll be able to pick out who he is uh, as, as we try to see if that works. See, that wasn't me singing earlier, thankfully. without purpose or plan when trying his servant and molding a man give thanks to the Lord though your testing seems long in darkness he giveth a song though rejoice in the Lord went home to be with his Lord a week ago Wednesday. So after his seven final years of wrestling with uh, 
the uh, difficulties of dementia, he's now in the presence of the Lord. Aren't you glad that he's not stuck with in that kind of a situation for all eternity, but instead is waiting on his resurrection body to be issued to him that won't have any difficulties to be able to see with both eyes and uh, no more dementia, no more of that stuff, but we'll have a perfect body. All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for, thank you for making provision for us uh, that, that our sin problem could be dealt with and that uh, we would have eternal life with you. We look forward to that time when we'll spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Pray that you help us to be prepared, help us to be living in light of eternity. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are dismissed.